We are starting a new series that really talks all about that. It's called The Royal Family. And the reason why I uh, chose this name is because we're celebrating the coming of Jesus, who is the king. And really the whole story of the Old Testament is, well, Genesis 12 and beyond is of the royal family, the family of Jesus. Jesus was perfect, the only perfect one. We say often that we are a group of imperfect people that come together to follow and worship the only perfect one, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus' family was imperfect. So maybe you've already had a taste of that at Thanksgiving, where you were reminded that your family was imperfect. Maybe you need to hear that. Hey, your family is imperfect. It's not perfect. There's only one perfect one, and that is the Lord. Jesus Christ. For you, maybe this holiday, this Thanksgiving break was really hard because it was the first time that you celebrated Thanksgiving and and there was a seat left empty on the table. Or maybe you realize that, that, that there's greater distance than you thought from an estranged family member, a son, a daughter, a niece, nephew, aunt, uncle, dad, mom, grandpa, grandma. And you see these tensions really boil up this time of the year where all of this tension, this hurt, this pain, this mourning just comes up in a time of hope, joy, love, and peace. And you're like, I I don't don't feel any of that. Well, that's why we are talking about this because there is so much imperfection in our lives and in the reality of our families. But as we look at these imperfect people, this imperfect family, there's one constant, and that is Jesus, the coming of the king that came to restore all that was broken and who reigns over all. Anybody out there? So let's focus on Jesus as we celebrate Christmas this season. There is this uh, episode in the Bible, it's called the exile, and that's really the most tragic part of the Old Testament. It's when they were exiled from their homeland. The Israelites were exiled uh, to another nation, and they were ruled by another king. And the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to them in this moment, and he says this in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a perfect branch. One, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. We get to hold on to this promise over our lives and over our families as we celebrate that the king has already come. Let's expect him to do awesome. Let's expect them to do big things. Maybe you have lost that expectancy for a while and and you see a a friend or a family member that's distant from God and and you stopped praying for him. Now is the time to get down on our knees and to pray and believe that he can, he will in his timing restore and bring that person back to him and, and back to the family family. Let's expect. I just feel it in my bones that he will do awesome things through us as we expect and hope. We're going to turn this morning to the story of Jacob, very imperfect person. He's a part of the genealogy 
of Jesus. In Matthew, this is the beginning of the New Testament, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter one, verse one says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So right there from the get-go, first opening lines of the New Testament, two imperfect people, only one perfect one, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, and then the son of David and and the son of Abraham. We're going to look at uh, um, David later on, and we looked at Abraham a few weeks ago, so we're going to look at his grandson this morning, Jacob. But then this next uh, graphic shows the genealogy. So if you think you may be the only imperfect family around, just check out the genealogy of the Bible and feel comforted by that, because the Bible is full of stories of imperfect people. It's why I love the Bible so much. You you may think, well, if the Bible is the true living word of God, it kind of should have been filled with all these perfect people that got it right. In reality, it's full of all of these imperfect people that got it wrong all the time and a perfect savior who continues to pursue, who uh, continues to promise uh, uh, these blessings to these people regardless of their disobedience. It's called agape love, unconditional love, which then transforms these people and now us, those who believe in the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So we are, are, have a great cloud of witnesses here in Matthew chapter one, and, and we're gonna look at Jacob. But before we do, a couple more things about this genealogy. It's interesting and noteworthy that the genealogy of Matthew uh, follows the legal claim to the sonship of God, to the divinity of Jesus as uh, the son of God, meaning Joseph, his earthly father, was Uh, his adopted dad. So Joseph adopted Jesus, right? He wasn't his biological son. So Matthew follows Joseph's lineage all the way up, whereas Luke's follows his biological lineage through his mom, Mary. Another awesome thing about the genealogy of Matthew is that it has some questionable characters that if you're trying to make sure that Jesus looks all nice and neat, you would probably omit, but they don't because they're um, uh, talking about how imperfect the family of God is. Uh, There are five women that are uh, talked about. There's Rahab and Ruth, who were Gentiles and Tamar and... um, Bathsheba and Mary. So the only ancient text that I know of and can think of, I welcome any challenge here that reveres and includes women as much as the Bible. The Bible is an ancient text. It's the living, breathing word of God, but it's an ancient text. And when you look at others that were written in the era, none uh, reveres and includes women the way that the Bible does. It's so beautiful. This is the genealogy of Matthew, aren't you excited that we're doing a series on a genealogy? You know, like, have you done your Ancestry.com or your uh, 23 plus me? Uh, Don't do it because then the government has all your information. I'm kidding. Uh, Maybe they probably do, or then I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. (laughs) But it is interesting. We're obsessed with lineages. Just yesterday, my mom and I were were talking, and she's like, did you know that we're from Portugal? I'm like, cool. She's like, what if we were Portuguese citizens? I'm like, I'm good. I'm an American citizen. I don't need to be another citizen from another place. But it's just for families from, we're fascinated by those things. And here it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ starts with an imperfect 
family, this lineage. And so let's hop back all the way to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, where we're gonna look at the story of Jacob. And from this story, uh, I wanna talk about four truths that exist in his story that I hope will give you hope through whatever you may be going through this season. We're gonna start in Genesis chapter 25, then we'll go and finish in chapter 33. So Genesis 20, uh, 25, 19, we see the lineage of Jacob. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Isaac is Jacob's dad. So Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughters of Bethuel and the Aramean, and Padanaram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So here we have Isaac and Rebekah. Interesting, um, this is a generational thing. Uh, uh, Abraham, who we talked about a few weeks ago, and his wife Sarah also had uh, problems getting pregnant. We see the same thing here. And so Isaac prayed, and uh, we read then that the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Now, I think about uh, this answered prayer and you're like, well, now I'm pregnant, but why am I having such turmoil here then, God? But I love what Rebecca does. She takes it to the Lord. She doesn't just complain about it. She inquires of the Lord. She went to inquire of the Lord in verse 23, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your move, meaning you're gonna have twins, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger, and when her days to give birth were completed, behold. Now, this word behold, it's a really cool word that the Hebrew, um, the word is mine, uh, or hine, sorry, but the ESV translation keeps as behold, because there's really no better word in English, one word, to say, pay attention, this is important, this is a big deal. So, and behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau, flattering. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore from the get-go, this is chapter 23, second epic rivalry between brother and brother. The first was Cain and Abel, and if you don't know that didn't turn out so good, this is the second one. What do we learn? That, that, that family's imperfect in the Bible. Before they were even born, there's a prophecy that states that they're gonna be divided against one another. I mean, the epic rivalry doesn't get much epic than that from the get-go. I have a younger brother. His name's Horacio. He's got a great name after my grandpa and my uncle. Three years younger, maybe not from the womb, but pretty soon thereafter, the rivalry started. And I remember it got real when I was in like fourth grade. He was in first grade, I think. We had a juggling club at the school. We should start juggling clubs at school because they, they uh, teach you great hand-eye. He started juggling better than I did when he was in first grade and I was in fourth I'm like, I'm gonna have to work 
twice as hard to beat this guy because he's really talented. He's just naturally skilled. Fast forward, a lot of rivalry in video games, a few controllers thrown at one another playing that. Soccer, we competed. And, and then it really got bad. It was a few years back. I was training for a race and I had a long run, but it was just a slow run to train. And so I told my brother, hey, come with me. And, and you know, we're adult men by this point. And I thought, let's just run together. Let's chit chat. Let's catch up. Let's just enjoy running with one another because that's what brothers do, right? And so we started running and then we got to the final mile. We ran 13 miles that day. So mile 12, homeboy just takes off. Like I told him it was a training run. He doesn't have a race that he's training for. I do, okay? So he, he can go all out. But I'm like, okay, I'm just going to leave him. Just going to leave him. I couldn't help it. About 25, you know, meters in, I was right behind. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. Well, to this day, my knee is still injured from that run because I couldn't help it. I had to be faster. I had to win and I didn't. So that's the other thing that that made me realize is uh, my little brother is now 6'2". He's faster than I am. He's better at soccer. We haven't played video games in a long time. He can juggle clubs and even fire and balance a ladder on his chin. True story. And he's better looking. He's got more hair than I. I think the rivalry's done. He, he's just he's just won. Esau and Jacob kept going a little, a little, a little longer. Uh, let's read now and go back to the story of what happens with Jacob and Esau. Again, Esau was the older brother. Jacob was the younger. They were twins, but the birthright was really important then because the inheritance went through the oldest son. And so the blessing, the, the, the influence went through um, the older son. This isn't only a Jewish thing. This is a human thing that the older son is revered as uh, holy. So uh, when Jacob was cooking stew, this is now in verse 29, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means he was exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. So Jacob is going after his older brother's birthright. Edgy. Verse 32, Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So Jacob, which also means the deceiver, just tricked his brother, used his circumstance to now become the older brother, and the vehicle of blessing. It's very important because Esau here did not recognize what God had promised his grandpa Abraham. In Genesis 12, God said that he was going to bless the entire world through him and his descendants. So what Esau is despising is not only his birthright, but he's despising being a blessing of God to the entire world. Jacob takes it and now is considered the firstborn. What do we learn from this truth? Y'all, this is the grandson of Abraham. We're not very far along into God's redemptive purposes and biblical narrative before this narrative comes in. And so it teaches me that God wants to use imperfect people to fulfill his perfect purposes. That's Jacob, and that's you and me too. Because we 
now in Jesus are called sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Our inheritance is in Christ because of what he did for us. Nothing to do with the order of which we came to know Jesus or anything that we could have done. We now have an inheritance because Jesus came for you and for me. And he wants to use us despite our imperfections for his perfect purposes. Colossians 3, 23, 24 says, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so again, go back to this season and what it means. There are so many distractions, good distractions. Taylor asked, I'm gonna ask again, who, who's already put their tree up? That's fantastic. Did you know that the tree was a pagan symbol? You glad you came this morning to learn that? I'm kidding. The tree's a good thing. We uh, can't wait to put up my tree. My wife's actually the one that's like, oh, we don't. Need. I was like, we absolutely need a tree, and it's got to be real. That's another uh, argument and discussion for debate uh, for another time. Real trees versus fake trees, height, width, all that other fun stuff. Anyway, we can get distracted by so many good things in this season and totally miss God's purposes for us, especially as we celebrate with loved ones and friends that we do not see often. God wants to use imperfect people for his perfect purposes. So whatever we do, let's do it knowing that God is using us through that. In Genesis 27, Jacob uh, and, and Esau are, are now before Isaac and uh, Esau goes away and Rebecca, their mom, wants Jacob to now receive, he's got the birthright, but he's got to receive the blessing now for things to be official. It's like signing um, back then. You lay hands, you anoint, and then you're, you're good. You have that inheritance. And so Rebecca and Jacob deceive their now blind dad Isaac and, and convince him that Jacob is actually Esau. He puts sheep skin to, you know, he's hairy and all this stuff. And, and so it happens. Isaac is tricked. And this is now the status of Jacob and Esau's relationship. Let's pick up Genesis 27, verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So when Isaac dies, Esau is coming after Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. Uh, so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, she's saying, hey, this is really important. Listen, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Okay, so good advice. She says, go away, um, give him some time. He needs to settle down. He's gonna kill you. There's this verse in Ephesians that says, in your anger, do not sin. It's not a sin to be angry. It's a sin to stay in that anger and allow that anger to manifest itself in uh, different ways. And then the uh, verse says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. What this teaches us is to deal with the source of that anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. 
It means it's triggering that something is going on inside of us, in our emotional uh, makeup, in our relational circumstance. And so Rebecca here teaches her son to do something pretty wise. Give your brother some space. Give your brother some time. His anger will simmer down. It's just free. It came to me as I was preparing. I think there are some of us that are in relationships with some family members and we just need to give them a little space. They, 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 they haven't been making the best decisions. They haven't been the best fill in the blank to you, uh, son to you, daughter to you, uh, uh, dad to you, mom to you. They, they just need a little bit of space, but don't ignore it. Don't let that space go on forever. Work it out with the Lord. Now, here's the bad part of the advice here. She sent him to Uncle Laban. I hope you don't have an Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban was a bad dude, uh, double as deceiving as Jacob. He, he deserved a little bit, but Laban went a little too far. We're not gonna go into it uh, word by word, but here's the recap. He falls in love. Jacob falls in love with Rachel, Laban's uh, daughter, and Laban's got an older daughter, Leah. Well, remember this birthright thing, older son, older daughter? Well, Leah wasn't married. And so come wedding day, there's a little swap. I don't understand, but that's what the Bible says. And, and he marries Leah instead of Rachel. So he married the wrong woman. And so Laban says, if you want to marry my other woman, again, this is ancient times, uh, he says, you got to work for me for seven years. And boy, does Jacob wait. Waits for seven years, and then he's with them for about 13 more years. So he's with Laban for 20 years before. Before all of this happens, though, I sped up. There is this scene that's really important because God prepares uh, uh, Jacob. And I believe that God, through this, is also preparing us as we expect him to do big things. In verse 13 of Genesis 28, Jacob has an encounter with God. Uh, he sees this ladder. He has this dream. And, and he, he, in verse 13, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above the ladder and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is echoing the blessing in Genesis 12 to Abraham. Behold, very important right here, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. God's teaching us that God fulfills his promises in his perfect timing. He's given you promises. He's spoken to you about these relatives, these friends, these neighbors. He, you know things in your knower. And what he is telling Jacob and what he's telling us today is that he will fulfill those promises in his perfect timing. So we get to be patient and we get to keep that hope alive. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure 
of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. So you may be thinking in this circumstance with your family member, in this circumstance with your loved one, I can't see any steps towards redemption, restoration, healing, any of that. We'll have faith because God's promises will be fulfilled in his timing. And that may be way after you and I are alive. We don't know, but it's his perfect timing that, that where his promises will be fulfilled. And Jacob needed that because he was about to enter into this tension with his uncle Laban again. Rachel and Leah, finally, the way that all concludes is uh, he confronts Laban, he stands up for himself and he says, I've had enough, I'm going. He takes his family, they leave. And Laban actually makes a covenant with him and says, all right, from here on, this is, this is me. From here on, this is you. God bless you, literally, peace. And then uh, he's walking now back to his homeland. Who was in his homeland? Esau, and bad news for Jacob. Their dad, Isaac, is dead. So that means that Esau, remember, promised, as soon as my dad dies, I'm coming after you. So now he's coming after Isaac. Y'all, this epic rivalry, I'm telling you, the Bible's exciting right here. This is drama. So in chapter 32, Jacob is filled with all this tension, all this anxiety. What's going to happen to me, my family, my kids? He's got all of these blessings that God's given him. And, and he even sends two servants out to meet Esau because he hears that he's coming with presents to appease him and to find favor in his eyes. Anything that he can do with by his own power to, to, to reconcile with his brother. And then he goes to sleep. He's left alone. Well, before he goes to sleep, he's left alone. And in Verse 24 of chapter 32, something incredible happens. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob gets a new identity, and his identity comes after. He's not only wrestling God, he's wrestling with God. And it's when we bring our stuff to God and we say, Lord, here's my anxiety, here's my tension, here's all the things that are causing harm in me, all the things that I know are not right. I'm bringing them up to you and I'm wrestling with these things to you. That God gives us strength. Think about Philippians 4. It says we can do all things through who? Through Christ who gives us strength. He wants to be the source of our strength as we wrestle with all the circumstances that life gives us. But the key is that God gives us strength for the fight through a new identity. See, there were things that Jacob was ashamed of. That's why he was afraid of his brother. He knew that he had deceived him. 
And so he was afraid of those things. He was ashamed. Well, God said, hey, your name is no longer deceiver. Your name is the one who fought and wrestled with God, the one who's striven with God and with man and prevailed. You are strong because I am the source of your strength, says God. And we are strong because he is the source of our strength. We have a new identity. No longer are we defined by our past or what we have done, but we are now defined by what Jesus has done for us. And that is enough to face whatever circumstance life hits us with. The closing scene is an emotional one. In verse, in chapter 33, he sees, Jacob sees Esau approaching. 400 men. He doesn't know what's about to hit him, but he goes forward now knowing I am Israel. I'm no longer Jacob. I I wrestled with all of this with God. I now have strength. I'm just going to go out in boldness and in faith, probably expecting something terrible to happen. And verse four gets the opposite. Verse four, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, who are these with you, Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, they bowed down, and Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down, unless Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, hey, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please 